Okay, Jeremiah 50, starting to read at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, spoke through Jeremiah the prophet, concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations, lift up a banner and proclaim it, keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured, Bel will be put to shame, Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both people and animals will flee away. Take up your positions round Babylon, all you who draw the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her on every side. She surrenders, her towers fall, her walls are torn down. Since this is the vengeance of the Lord, take vengeance on her. Do to her as she has done to others. The Lord has opened his arsenal and brought out the weapons of his wrath. For the sovereign Lord Almighty has work to do in the land of the Babylonians. Come against her from afar, break open her granaries, Pile her up like heaps of grain, completely destroy her and leave her no remnant. Kill all her young bulls, let them go down to the slaughter, woe to them. For their day has come, the time for them to be punished. Listen to the fugitives and refugees from Babylon declaring in Zion how the Lord our God has taken vengeance, vengeance for his temple. See, I am against you, you arrogant one, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty, for your day has come, the time for you to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, and no one will help her up. I will kindle a fire in her towns that will consume all who are around her. Flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed because of her sins, It is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will repay her what she deserves. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, they have now gone mad. Babylon will surrender, will suddenly fall and be broken. Wail over her. Get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her and each go to our own land, for her judgment reaches to the skies. It rises as high as the heavens. The Lord has vindicated us. Come, let us tell in Zion what the Lord our God has done. Sharpen the arrows. Take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the kings of the Medes, because the purpose is to destroy Babylon. The Lord will take vengeance, vengeance from his temple. For the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be disgraced and her slain will all lie fallen within her. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For out of the north destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall because of Israel's slain just as the slain in all the earth have fallen because of Babylon. A destroyer will come against Babylon. 
Her warriors will be captured and their bows will be broken for the Lord is the God of retribution. He will repay in full. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors, officers and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king whose name is the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Babylon's thick wall will be levelled and a high gate set on fire. The peoples exhaust themselves for nothing. The nation's labour is only fuel for the flames. This is the message Jeremiah, the prophet, gave to the staff officer Sariah, son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, when he went to Babylon with Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year of the reign. Jeremiah had written on a scroll about all the disasters that would come upon Babylon, all that had been recorded concerning Babylon. He said to Sariah, When you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud. Then say, Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither people nor animals will live in it. It will be desolate forever. When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her and her people will fall. The words of Jeremiah end here. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, Matthew reading that for us. And uh, we know it is uh, a fairly small sample of two chapters of um, detailed about destruction of Babylon. And uh, it's all somber reading. So we pray, Lord, you'd help us to uh, get on top of this, help us to uh, see the truths which run through this, help us to see the themes which surface time and again. And we pray, Lord, that you would actually strangely warm our hearts with what is a really very somber chapter. But we pray, Lord, that uh, we would see where this points us to our Lord Jesus. Please help us to see where this points us to your love and compassion and your salvation. And we ask, Lord, please, that you would strangely warm our hearts as we study this together tonight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, how about having a look at this, talking about watching things, if we can uh, make this work? Have a look. Thank you. That uh, was obviously 9-11. And where were you when you heard the news of what happened on that dreadful day? And uh, sometimes when you hear news and you think, well, that can't possibly have happened. But it did. 2,996 people lost their lives that day. Uh, In New York, 2,606 lost their lives in the World Trade Center. 125 in the Pentagon, 265 on the four planes. And there are moments, hours maybe, when the world held its breath. And we were thinking... Uh, we can't quite believe what we've just seen. This is just too shocking. The world's great superpower being attacked on its own soil. And I don't know about you if uh, you look back on those days, and I, th- and I, I remember thinking, well, it can't happen to the United States because the U.S., uh, it's too powerful and uh, they're too secure. 
and it's too big. And surely that kind of dreadful thing can't happen there. And there's a very similar thing when you, when you look at this, these two chapters. Now, this was preached by Jeremiah even before they went off to exile. The people of God went off to exile. Um, and he was saying that the people of Babylon are going to be utterly destroyed. And there would have been people then who, who would have been thinking and saying to Jeremiah, look, Jeremiah, don't be so daft. Just in the same way that we found it hard to believe on 9-11 that, you know, America's too big and too strong and too powerful and too safe. And they were saying, well, the, the Babylonians, they're too big and too strong and too powerful and too safe for something, you know, for them to be destroyed in the same way that you're saying here. It's just simply, they're too big. And uh, God says through Jer- Jeremiah, uh, for instance, I'll, I'll just in 51 and verses uh, 8 and the beginning of 9, Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken, wail over her, get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. Who would have healed Babylon? But she cannot. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. And what we read here, if you read through both chapters, you can see that you've got here the fact that Babylon will be wiped off the face of the earth. And there is a lesson for us here, actually, that there is no superpower in this world which is too big, too strong, too powerful, or too safe not to be wiped off the face of the earth. Now, this was written in 594 BC, before before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and deported the talent and the leadership over to Babylon. Uh, that happened in 587. It finished the job 587. And then, 55 years after this was written, 55 years after this was written, in 539, the Persian Empire, under a guy called Cyrus, became rulers of the world. They became the next great superpower. And so this thing that which we all thought was just completely unbelievable, they certainly did then, actually happened. Babylon was destroyed. Now, what are we meant to learn from this? These two big, long, rather, oh dear, uh, chapters. Well, um, what are they telling us? I think they're telling us this. We need to worship this king whose name is the Lord Almighty. Actually, this evening, we want to learn, we will learn about this king whose name is the Lord Almighty. And our response must be for us to worship him. Now, that phrase comes from the end of of, uh, chapter 51. And it's in verse 57 there. Because it says there, they will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king whose name is the Lord Almighty. Almighty. That's who God is. This is what he does. He had used and he did use Babylon uh, as a, this evil empire as his hammer to destroy and to take into exile his own people. He called Babylon my servant. Not that they were necessarily on his side, but he's saying, uh, I'm going to use Babylon, this nation, this tyrant. And God always knew that Babylon was evil. And he always knew that they would get punished and he always knew that they were going to be destroyed for what happened. And here in these two chapters, we see the detail and we see the the, um, completeness of Babylon's final punishment and destruction. And for us today, we want to worship 
this Lord, this King, who is the Lord Almighty, who rules and orders the affairs of men, who is Lord over all, who is Lord over superpowers, who brings superpowers into existence, brings them their, their rule and their uh, complete control over things, and then can destroy them. Just like that. It's uh, something that people like Donald Trump, great to pray for Donald Trump earlier on, thank you, Sarah, uh, that people like Donald Trump need to know and to understand and to realize that your nation could be snuffed out and then the next superpower can be snuffed out and so on. And we want to worship this king who puts and takes away, who creates and then can destroy uh, these world superpowers. Now, worship, when we say they worship the king whose name is the Lord Almighty, um, it's what we feel and what we express from our hearts and what we say in our lips, in our songs. It's also how we live our lives. So, so we see here God, the one with an absolute and total and complete authority over all, and he is not to be messed with. In other words, he's not to be ignored. He's not to be sidelined. He's not someone to be rebelled against. He's not someone to be marginalized or replaced by our own gods or forgotten. Because this God, our God, is the king whose name is the Lord Almighty. Remember that and we worship him. Now, just before we get to the first main point, and then we'll go through a bit more quickly, um, can I just have a look at that last paragraph on our yellow sheet, starting by that verse number 59. Now, Sariah there, son of Neriah, uh, was the brother of Barak. Barak, Jeremiah's PA, the guy who uh, did all the dictation and so on from uh, for Jeremiah's book, and then again. And we know that he was deported uh, in verses 60 and 61 there. And then and Jeremiah says to him, look, you're going to go over to Babylon. When you're there, I want you to uh, read the words of this prophecy. I want you to pray. Then I want you to tie the, a stone on the prophecy and chuck it in the Euphrates. And uh, uh, that is very interesting because um, um, that's the kind of stuff, pretty much, which happens in a church every Sunday. That's what Christian ministry is about, actually. If you want to get ordained, for instance, in the C of E, that's the kind of stuff you need to do. Okay? Read and preach the word of God, pray, and then, actually, it was an enacted symbol of what was going to happen. And an enacted enacted symbol is what we do every week in the chapel at 8 o'clock in communion, where we're actually uh, remembering Jesus' death for us. So the sacraments of baptism and communion in the Church of England, for instance, uh, are uh, are modern-day parallels of what happened when he threw the the scroll in the Euphrates. So there's an interesting... So that's ministry. That's what Christian ministry today is about. It's exactly the same. It's about the scriptures, it's about praying, and it's about making sure the sacraments are properly uh, celebrated and remembered. But that's, uh, um, so it's, it's, I find it interesting. That little last paragraph is there. That's what you've got to do. Last words of Jeremiah. That's what you've got to do. Now, actually, our last uh, sermon on Jeremiah is going to be um, uh, next week. But uh, these are the last words of Jeremiah here. The book goes on slightly. So the first thing to say here is the Lord Almighty is almighty to judge. 
the Lord Almighty uh, is almighty to judge. So uh, if, you were, if you're taking notes, chapter 50 and verse 9, or chapter 51 and verse 9, uh, is uh, talking about her judgment reaches the skies, it rises as high as the heavens. Or in chapter 50 and verse 25, See, the Lord has opened his arsenal and brought out the weapons of his wrath, for the sovereign Lord Almighty has work to do in the land of the Babylonians. And that work is the work of judgment. And that work is terrifying. So um, you look at verse 26. Come against her from afar, chapter 50. Break open her granaries. Pile her up like heaps of grain. Completely destroy her and leave her no remnant. And in chapter 51 and verse 25, it's not there, but it's in in the Bibles. I'm against you. I'm against you, you destroying mountain. And then uh, 55 years later, the Persian Empire come under under the ruler Cyrus, and uh, they totally destroyed Babylon. It was completely, as, as a place, uh, it, was, uh, it was destroyed. The city of Babylon survived, but the empire was wiped from the earth. And you see the great terror of this. If you read through chapters 50 and 51 tonight, for instance, you'd see the terror of this and the completeness of this. And this judgment, there are four things about it just to say. So this judgment of God here, uh, he is the judge. And the judgment, first of all, you see that it is planned and purposed. So in 51 and verse 11, it says this, sharpen arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the kings of the Medes. That's another word for the Persians, basically, because his purpose is to destroy Babylon. His purpose is to do this. And in 51.29, it says, for the Lord the Lord's purpose against Ban- the Lord's purposes against Babylon stand to lay waste the land of Babylon. So this judgment of God, it's planned and it's purposed. It is final, it is thorough, it is total, and it always is. And it always will be. It is real, still is. And at the end of time, there will be a judgment of God which is planned and purposed against all evil and rebellion in the world. Same principle, same idea, same reality. The second thing we see here, there are four of them. So uh, B, uh, this judgment is, uh, it is a punishment. Judgment is a punishment for wrongdoing. Um, You look at 50, uh, chapter 50 and verse 27, for instance. Kill their young bulls, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come. The time for them to be punished. And verse 31, see, I'm against you, you arrogant ones, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. For your day has come, the time for you to be punished. You see, the thing is, God is is not someone who will overlook our wrongdoing or our sin or our rebellion. He is a just God who demands that wrong things in the end will be punished. And we have a choice. So we can either turn to God and trust in him now that Jesus was punished for our sins and wrongdoing and rebellion when he died for us. Or you can bear it yourself. And that's the choice we all face. That God will give us what we have chosen. And the Lord Almighty is a judge. And is a judgment which is prepared and purposed. And which is also a punishment 
on wrongdoing, on sinfulness, on rebellion against him, which will happen on the day at the end of time when Jesus returns. It is also here, we see it's a picture of anger or wrath, not temper, but anger. God has a righteous anger against sin and wrongdoing, a righteous anger against people who replace him with other pathetic non-gods. More of that in a moment. And we don't like the idea of God's anger very much, do we? But it is clear here. Or his wrath. You look at chapter 50 and verse 25 there. It talks about God's wrath, brought out the the weapons of his wrath. Or in uh, chapter 50 and verse uh, 13, it says, Because of the Lord's anger, she will not be inhabited. This is Babylon. But we will be completely desolate. And uh, chapter 51 and verse 45, uh, where it says this. I'm not sure we've got that there. 50, 51 and 45 says, the fierce anger of the Lord. And he, he used Babylon to express and to uh, bring about his, his anger on his people. So in the past, so in chapter 51 and verse 7, it talks about a cup. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. And whenever you see this idea of a cup in the Old Testament, it is linked in, it is symbolic of God's wrath. And so Babylon was the, uh, was the enactor of God's wrath against his people. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, please take this cup away from me if it's possible. The cup of God's wrath. And in the end, he took and drunk that cup to the dregs as he died for us. It's not easy to say, it's not easy to hear, it's not easy to tell our friends, but there is a righteous anger of God against rebellion against him. And we must not be afraid of that. It is in the end a good thing. And it's a necessary thing if heaven is all that heaven is meant to be. Obviously, there's a lot more to talk about there. But uh, uh, it is, a um, well, if you look in chapter 50 and verse 26, uh, it talks about completely destroying. And there's a, a, there's a footnote in, our, uh, in, in many, um, I wonder if it's in, I think it is in our Bibles here in the church Bibles. And it says the Hebrew term refers to the irrevocable giving over of things or persons to the Lord, often by totally destroying them. And that's a little phrase, completely destroy, which comes a couple of times there in five verses, in chapter 50, verses 21 and 26. And it is uh, totally destroying things because of God's righteous, settled anger or wrath against uh, things or people who are settled in their rebellion against him. And then the fourth thing, there's a word that comes up, a lot in these two chapters, and it's the word vengeance. That's not so much revenge, getting your own back, but a righteous putting wrongs right. A righteous inflicting punishment for the doing of wrong things. And actually, we want things put right, don't we? And actually, we don't like a world where people get away with doing wrong things. And actually, when someone goes to court and they're obviously guilty and they're found guilty and then they're sent down to prison, then we actually appreciate that, don't we? 
Because there is something deep down inside of us which says, actually, we believe that, that uh, wrongdoing is bad and wrongdoing needs to be sorted out and wrongdoers need to be sorted out. And, uh, uh, and there will come a day at the end of time when this will happen for us. Billy Graham was, um, uh, well, he once said this, we shall never understand the extent of God's love in Christ at the cross until we understand that we shall never have to stand before the judgment of God for our sins. All our sins, without exception, were placed on Christ. He took the judgment we deserve. He finished the work of redemption. Once while crossing the North Atlantic in a ship, I looked out of my porthole when I got up in the morning and saw one of the blackest clouds I'd ever seen. I was certain that we were in for a terrible storm. I ordered my breakfast sent to my room and spoke to the steward about the storm. He said, oh, we've already come through that storm. It's behind us. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have already come through the storm of judgment. It happened at the cross. Don't be bound by your guilt or your fears any longer, but realize that sin's penalty has already been paid by Christ completely and fully. There is a judgment, a punishment, a vengeance, an anger. But on the cross, Jesus took it all in our place so that we don't need to. Isn't that wonderful news? Well, that's the first thing and quite a difficult thing to be talking about, isn't it? Second, the Lord Almighty over rivals. The simple fact is, when we challenge the Lord Almighty, we can't win. We can try, but we can never win. No chance, no point in trying, but we'll try we do. And we set ourselves up as some kind of rivals, or we make rivals which we worship ourselves. I spent quite a lot of time when we were in India recently trying to understand Hinduism, because they have a lot of very elaborate temples, extraordinary buildings, almost everywhere it seems, and, um, and it seems to me that they have these man-made idols and they have some really good stories which go with them. And, um, but they're no, as far as I can understand, no real foundations. Not the real foundations that we have to our faith. We have a saviour who once walked this earth. And if we'd lived 2,000 years ago, we could have met him and talked with him. We might even have been there on that hill of Calvary when he bore the wrath of the Lord for us. And uh, here in Babylon, there were loads of idols. So you look just at the beginning of our passage in uh, chapter 50 and verse 2, and it says, Babylon will be captured, Bel will be put to shame. Bel is their chief god, and Marduk, is a, that's the next line, uh, filled with terror. That's another name for Bel. They were just idols, and they'll be shown for what they are. In 51.17, it says, every goldsmith is chained by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. And 51.47 there, uh, we read this. For the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be disgraced and her slain will lie fallen within her. Useless, worthless idols which replace God and are going to be destroyed. They're false gods 
which never fail to fail. And of course, we all have our false gods today as well, don't we? Which make all sorts of promises, but they never fail to fail. And they're powerless to save. They're powerless to save the people of Babylon, and they're powerless to save us now, today, here and now. Whatever idol you have, whatever idol you have, unless it is, uh, well, I would never say Jesus is an idol, but unless Jesus is your God, your idols will never, can never, ever save you. Of course they can't. And here we have Babylon with all their idols, Babylon which was itself an idol, the hammer of the nations, and it becomes a broken hammer. Chapter 15, verse 23, how broken and shattered is the hammer of the whole earth. And Babylon set itself up as a world superpower. And Babylon was unbelievably arrogant. They were strutting around saying, well, we're the business. We rule the world. And yet look at chapter 15, verse 31. See, I'm against you, you arrogant one, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty, for your day has come. The time for you to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall and no one will help her up. I will kindle a fire in her towns that will consume all who are around her. Babylon itself had become a rival to God. And of course, Babylon will be destroyed. There are no rivals allowed. No rivals allowed. God has no rival. People may think that God, our God, is weak or ineffective, and uh, they're maybe not interested in him. And they might think that God, God, is, uh, God can't kind of stand up against criticism, he can't stand up for himself in the rebellious world and so on. Well, one day we will see, and God will show that he has no rivals, and God will show that he is almighty over rivals, as in that day all rivals will be destroyed. Just as we see a picture of it here in in Jeremiah 50 and 51. On the last day, all rivals to God will be destroyed. And his rule and his reign will be acknowledged in his universe. And every knee is going to bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, you may now set yourself up as a rival in your mind and heart. You may think, actually, I'll be my God, and I don't need any God beyond me. Well, you are your own God then, and you are a rival to the living God, the only living God. And the Lord Almighty is almighty over rivals. And one day, we all know that. One day, you will experience that. And I hope that knowledge and experience won't come too late. Worship the King, whose name is the Lord Almighty. We do it now. We want to bow down to him now. We want to stop, we want to stop trying to be a rival. We want to stop worshipping our own pathetic little gods and worship him and him only. And then finally, and this is the best bit, I think, is this. The Lord Almighty to forgive. 
Now, forgive here is just a, it's a shorthand for a whole range of God's saving grace that we see here towards his people. Now, again, let's remember, this is written by Jeremiah before judgment fell on God's people, before uh, God's place, Jerusalem, was just flattened. This was written by Jeremiah before God's house, the temple, was uh, wiped from the face of the earth, before God's people were removed forcibly from their homeland and all the best amongst them were deported uh, over on this huge journey over to Babylon, 1,200, 1,300 miles, whatever it was. And Jeremiah, as he writes this here, is saying, guys, it's going to be rubbish. It's going to be the worst time of your lives. But you've got a future. You've still got a future. In the midst of all this destruction and all this rubbish and all this failure and all this punishment and all this stuff that's going on and this chaos and everything else, God is searching and he's calling out still. Still a little remnant, a little people for himself. And he wants their guilt and their sin obliterated. And he wants to start again. So look in chapter 50 and verse 33. Actually, you need to look at it in the Bible, so I'll read it for you. 50.33 says this. The people of Israel are oppressed. And the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet, next verse, their redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend their cause so he may bring rest to their land and unrest to those who live in Babylon. And then God goes on. And he says he's bringing a sword against Babylon. He says it uh, oh, uh, uh, a number of times here. A sword, a sword, a sword, a sword, a sword. Uh, at the end of chapter 50. A sword against Babylon, a sword against their officials, a sword against their wise men, a sword against false prophets, a sword, false prophets, a sword against their warriors, <clears throat> a sword against their horses and chariots and treasures and idols and so on. And that happened, of course, when Cyrus came in 539 BC, 55 years later. <clears throat> and when they came, the captives in Babylon were released and they were allowed bit by bit to return to the promised land. They started rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, reading their they started rebuilding the temple. It wasn't as good as it was in the first place. Read Ezra. But it's there. It's another exodus. It's going out of slavery back to the promised land. Just a little run to them. Just a few of them. But they were there. 51.45 says this. It, again, sorry, I haven't written that one down either. But it says, come out of her, my people. 51.50, that's come out of Babylon, my people. Come home. And he says in 51.50, you who have escaped the sword, leave and don't linger. That is, leave Babylon. Get out of there. Come home. And he says, uh, uh, remember the Lord in a distant land. In other words, you're in Babylon. Remember the Lord. And he says, call to mind Jerusalem. You're in Babylon. Remember Jerusalem. That's your home. That's where you should be. You're going to go home. There's a tiny little runt of them, okay? Just a tiny little number. They're going to get out and they're going to get home. In other words, you're going home. And there's a theme here in chapters 50 and 51 of a future for God's people in the promised land. That's their forgiveness. It's their restoration. It's their return to Israel. They've got a future. They're going home one day. And no matter how far we fall, no matter how far we get it wrong, no matter how far we failed and we fouled up, no matter 
you know, the number of times that, uh, that I've let the Lord down, we keep on going back to him and so on. God is extraordinarily gracious and he wants us back home. And our, um, our home is not some place in the Middle East. Of course not. Our home is heaven. And God wants us there with him, forgiven, restored, alive and renewed. And in the glorious place where all evil and all rebellion has been judged and all rivals have been destroyed. And where our God will live forever <coughs> with his people who he has forgiven because of the death of his son. And these two chapters that we've, we've glanced through this evening are not just about the historical destruction of God's hammer, Babylon. There's a bigger story to tell. There's a cosmic story to tell. A story of who God is, a story of God's purposes in the world, a story which must make us want to worship the King, the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty to judge, the Lord Almighty over rivals, and the Lord Almighty to forgive. He is, as it says in 5157, the King, whose name is the Lord Almighty, he is the one we worship. Let's pray together. Father, it's hard to hear these things, and there's a lot of um, there'll be a lot of talking we need to do in small groups. I imagine to talk these things through. Lord, we believe in the end that judgment is, uh, uh, and the way it's outlined here, it's a necessary and it's actually a good thing. Dare we say that? It's a very good thing. So we pray, Lord, you'd help us to get our minds around this. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see that in this there is salvation, glorious and wonderful salvation. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who more and more understand and see these things and grasp them and seek to understand them more deeply, we pray. For your name's sake. Amen.